Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Well, there was a bear bear, all black and brown and covered in hair. Um, so, uh, let's intro the panel first off. We have, uh, Eon. Hi, this is Eon, and you can find me at Eon Blue, ne- Blue Negative on Tumblr. <laughs> and Chicky. Hi, this is Chicky. You can find me at Chickren on Tumblr. Whitey. Hi, everyone. This is Whitey, and you can find me at Yellow Delaney on Tumblr. And we have a guest tonight, Mo. Yeah. Uh, hi, this is Mo, and I'm useful hyphen spinster on Tumblr. Yay, a fellow hypheners. Of Lady of Tarth hyphen posts on Tumblr, and people come a lot. Um, so I'm going to remember spoiler warnings. We do spoil everything. Um, so just a heads up about that. Um, I'm also going to talk about um, the rape discussion that's going to be happening in these chapters. So there are there is rape discussion, so warning there. Um, and I think that about covers it up. We're going to do double mod episode again. So we have Chicky modding the first one for us, and that's Jamie 4. Is it? Oh, no. I prepped the wrong <laughs> chapter. <laughs> Kidding. Let's just wing it. Come on. He gave me, like, a heart attack. Don't do that. <laughs> I, I the kind of episode of this podcast. <laughs> she's she's not that drunk yet, Lord. Maybe point five. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, this Jamie chapter opens uh, with Jamie arriving at Derry. <laughs> I love how Jamie or Jamie just cannot resist going to see Lancel, even though this is pretty much out of his way. He's on his way to River Run, but no, he has to go see Lancel, who is now the Lord of Derry. Um, he arrives to um, find that the castle's being rebuilt. It was smashed, of course, in the war. And um, he sees uh, flying over the battlements um, Lancel's uh, Lannister sigil quartered with the Derry sigil. And he thinks to himself that this is a sign that his uncle Kevin has been at work here. Um, it's a sign of his political prowess that he would know to do that. And he has a thought that Kevin really should be Tommen's hand. <laughs> I love how often he's thinking this. <laughs> Yeah, what I, what I love too is that he he talks about Cersei talking about um, making Harris Swift, um, you know, pr- sort of promoting him to power, and he ha- gets a little digging at Cersei by saying, you know, Harris Swift is a toad, and my sister's a fool if she thinks otherwise, and it's kind of just a frequent occurrence in Jamie's chapter, isn't it? Those little digs he's getting in at Cersei—they're becoming more and more frequent. He's, they really are. Yeah, he's really seeing her for kind of her true colors more and more. Yeah. Well, and that's no more evidence than the fact that he actually has to go see Lancel because we all know why he's here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it's interesting as he's arriving, Jamie has this offhanded thought about Red Ronnet. I love this. Part. Oh yeah, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the last time we saw Red Ronnet, he was like rolling around on the ground after Jenny or after Jamie slapped him. So. <laughs> Now we find out that Jamie has sent Red Ronnet away with Willis Manderley um, so that he doesn't have to look on it, at him anymore. I love this. <laughs> yeah, he has an obvious dislike for the man. Like it's, it's, it's like, I wonder why. 
Yeah, right. I think that's like in my notes. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why Jamie dislikes this guy so much. I love that he had to throw it. And Jamie also, as they're arriving over here, is a conversation between Pia and his squire Peck. And um, it seems like he's picking up kind of a vibe between these two. Um, and he also remembers the fact that before they left Heron Hall, he um, had a man killed for trying to rape Pia, a man who had raped Pia before. <laughs> and it provides one of the more interesting images in A Song of Ice and Fire in that um, Ilan Payne cuts off the man's head and hands his head to Pia. And <laughs> Jamie talks about the fact that she was smiling while she's holding this head in her hands. It's really... A toothless <laughs> grin. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. comic and horrific at the same time. Yeah. I kind of love the image of it. What? What I really love about the whole Jamie reflecting on Pia, um, there's a few things really. I love that he sort of he's he's a really good people reader, and I think I've discussed this in previous episodes where he he does. Um, I don't know. I think he has a really high emotional IQ, Jamie does in some ways for other people. He doesn't often <laughs> put it to use, but when you see him reflect on other people, he really does have a good grasp of what's going on and. He realises that, you know, Pia – well, firstly, he realises that Peck's into Pia, which is probably not that oh, – not <laughs> probably not ultimate. that special of him. He's like the not ultimate that like man in this little bit, right? He's totally into her. But it's – you know, what I, I mean, the, the best thing about this for me is that Jamie seems truly concerned with Pia's well-being. He sort of realises she's just a little girl, really, and she's scarred. Um, and he just seems really genuinely concerned with Pierre, and it's, it is later reinforced in the chapter when he talks to Peck about <laughs> if he's going to yeah. go there to be gentle with her and to be kind to her. Um, so, yeah, it's just a, a nice reflection, I guess, on Jamie's character yeah. and how he does yeah. actually have empathy for other people. Not even that. Like, he's also, like like I was saying, he's, like, the ultimate wingman. He not only, like, gives her, like, him him tips on how to you know be gentle be kind you know give her kind gentle words but then he's like oh yeah and this room mm-hmm. will be free around supper time you know if you need a space <laughs> yeah he's all like someone should use this bed because it's not gonna be me he's like uh eon in that one episode where she was like the cool mom <laughs> like uh oh jesse condoms snacks snacks <laughs> <laughs> I just think that Jamie has just a very progressive mindset for the time that this story is taking place. Yeah. He's a man, like, his thought press is just, he's a man ahead of his time because he's actually beheading these men that raped Pia. And do you really think that any other of the highborns in these chapters would have done that for a commoner? Well, not at all. I and mean, you hear what happens is that, you know, they talk about. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I who who was it? The 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 mountains man says to him, "I raped her, you know, a hundred times." You can tell it's a frequent occurrence that oh, this God. thing, these sort of things, go on in Westeros. All yeah, it's awful. Um, they go on all the time, and no one really bats an eye. And you're right, Jamie is really one of the few men that we know of that actually gives a damn about this kind of thing and he tries to prevent it if he can yeah he doesn't just try to prevent it and punish people who who do it he actually has some empathy for the women to whom the crime is committed i mean you do see some punishment of rapists but you don't see a lot of sympathy for the victim be a little shit tarly might have punished this guy Yeah, probably that, what I was just about to raise that. As, as Chicky was saying, he doesn't actually um, display any sort of 
um, concern with the rape beyond the fact that these men are stepping yeah. out of line. They shouldn't be doing this. He doesn't care about the women involved. Just not adhering to the rules. That's all. Yeah, I mean, but do you really yeah. think that Randall Tarley would have pulled one of his squires aside and said to treat her gently? No, obviously. No. <laughs> <laughs> Time for that. He's got a pound rebuild. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about the man that told Brienne that she could probably do with a good raping, so probably not. <laughs> I'm not defending Randall Tarley. I admit it. Not, not so much empathy for <laughs> Randall Tarley. We're not talking about Hyle, okay? We're not talking about Hyle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going on. Okay, okay, okay. Let's, pull, let's reel this back god. in. Oh my god. I can't breathe. <laughs> okay, so they fully arrive at Derry, and Jamie is met by the maester of Derry and not by Lancel, um, which he finds interesting. He also sees a bunch of sparrows, as we've been seeing throughout A Feast for Crows. Um, the armed religious folk who are meandering around here, there, and everywhere, and there seem to be a lot of them at Derry, as though they are very welcome. Um, and the maester shows Jamie to the Lord's um, chambers, and, and Jamie's surprised. He's like, Lancel doesn't need to give up his chamber for me. And he, like, notices how austerely the place is, uh, has been outfitted. The, the really nice bed that used to be there was, of course, destroyed in the war, and it's been replaced by, you know, just a straw mattress and stuff, and um, we see signs of Lancel's new religious piety everywhere. And um, we learn that Lancel doesn't even sleep in this room, which Jamie finds surprising. And I find funny. You know what's funny about this? Yeah, I was going to say, it's actually really hilarious. And it's um, the first instance we see of Jamie's full-on snark mode in this chapter because he talks about how Lancel is sleeping in the sept. And he says... Um, he didn't know whether to laugh or weep. Maybe Lance was praying for his cock to harden. So um, it's just, it's peppered throughout these chapters. You really get a lot of Jamie's sarcasm. He is, yeah, he's he's doing really well in this. And he's really on point in this one, yeah. He really is, yeah. I was going to say what I really liked about a lot of this, um, Jamie's reminiscing of coming back to Derry before. And, like, mm. even the way he said it's like, you know, when Cersei and I were last here. Like, he doesn't say, you know, when the king and I and, you know, the royal <laughs> contingent. It's just him and Cersei were here. And they talk about all the tapestries that were hanging up and um, how Tyrion pointed out. You could see this, like, the stains on the stone where the sun, I guess, had been blocked. And they went and found all these Targaryen tapestries rolled up. And you could just kind of imagine Tyrion and Jaime... I don't know, just trying to make their own fun. Yeah, there are a couple of little reminiscences about Tyrion in this chapter. Um, You you kind of feel like Jaime forgets from time to time that he's supposed to be angry with Tyrion, and you see that a couple of times here. Yeah, he's got fond memories. and I I particularly like, too, when he was reminiscing about Robert, and there's like a little comment about how Robert never cared about basically overstaying his welcome. Yeah, he didn't care about being a burden on people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. not surprising. <laughs> I can imagine a lot of noble ladies and men, like, kind of, you know, eyeballing each other, like, when is this guy going to leave? <laughs> but they loved him. He was a good time. Robert was a partier. Yeah. The weird thing about Robert <laughs> is that people seem to like him. <laughs> right? It was, all, it was all fun and games until they ran out of alcohol. Or exactly. Because they talk about him overhunting. <laughs> yeah. So Jamie asks for a bath to be brought up while he's in this Lord's Chamber. Um... I love how often baths come up in, in Jamie's storyline. <laughs> and Brienne's. <laughs> a little bit in Brienne's too, yeah. It's it's great. 
And I love how he starts to get turned on looking at Pia. I mean, like, I don't see how you can read this any other way but that. Um, and uncomfortably uh, aware of her. Yeah. He starts thinking, remember your vows. Remember your vows. Like, yeah. as his boners pop in a way. Yeah, yeah he's, he's finding it harder and harder. And that part is completely intended to resist <laughs> the idea of betting other women. It's it's quite prevalent now. So what is that? But did you notice that whenever he's checking out Pia, instead of recalling Xerxes, he actually breaks, he starts thinking of Brienne in the bath. He sure does. Shortly after, he notices he has a boner. Well, yes, he Uh, certainly does. When was the last time that we're aware that he got a boner in a bathtub? Yeah, I love it. You know, and this is really the first time he's even had a thought about the confession that he makes to Brienne, and it's kind of an afterthought. It's like he has the boner, and that's what reminds him of Brienne, the bath with Brienne. Yeah. And then he's yeah. like, oh, yeah, and because I was so weak and fevered, I also told her a bunch of things that I shouldn't have. I love how they just never think about the major confession and only think yeah. about the sexual attraction okay. between them. So <laughs> so if, you go ahead, Lo. Oh, I was gonna say, so are we to believe, then, by the... This seems to be such a significant, the boner is so significant to Jamie. Are we to believe that he's never had a boner for any other woman but Cersei? No. <laughs> uh, no. Never I'm sure he that. has. I'm absolutely sure he has. But I think it's becoming more and more difficult for him to actually stop Yeah, he can't explain it away anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well. The reason to explain it away. That's exactly it. Yeah. He he, um, he he hasn't been away too long for many. I mean, you know, he hasn't had sex with Cersei right. for a little while, but it hasn't been that long. Yeah, but it, yeah, I, I I don't know. I I also like the the mirroring going on in the Jamie Brand storyline here. Not only are they sort of both roaming the countryside, thinking about each other, and thinking about where the other one might be at that moment, but they're both reminded of each other when they take baths. And you know, as we were. Presumably, it's Jamie's throbbing hard on that makes the association to Brienne even stronger. Oh, right? You gotta throw in the adjective. <laughs> hey, throbbing. Well, and I love how it actually—it's actually such a callback to Brienne's bath because he actually asks for soap and a stiff brush. I mean, it's like he's gonna scrub yeah. it away the same way that Brienne does. I mean, can't it's, get it, it's can't such get a callback. <laughs> <laughs> scrub harder, Jamie. Yeah, scrub harder. <laughs> so anyway um yeah we talked a little bit about it but jamie has his talk with peck and says you know if you want to get with pia that's fine just be nice to her be good to her which is you know not I, something jamie needs to say no, and then not. off and his I'm, bed. Not sure, I'm not sure <laughs> who did. mentioned it earlier was it eon he really is one of the least misogynistic character of men i guess in westeros that we've met he you know we've seen before he pause rape he he actually considers women human beings and not playthings or or men's property um it's I, I don't know it's a nice refreshing change i guess and one of the reasons that i really love jamie just one of many um so just jamie then goes down to the great hall for um <laughs> a meal and can this we meal i mean we we could spend a whole podcast just covering this meal because <laughs> can we talk so about many... wait, before you go on to the meal itself can we talk about the ostentatiousness of jamie and all i could think about was yes. the last I've podcast your sh- versace you notice how much gold jamie is wearing in this scene he's wearing red velvet a cloth of gold he's got a gold chain on black diamonds and he's got his gold hand no quote and it's polished to a fine bright sheen. 
That is very Versace. Yeah, he's glittery. He is so glittering. He's he's so sparkly right now. I particularly like the line, too, where he mentions it's, you know, he's not wearing his white cloak. And then he says a darker need brought him to Derry. Yeah, it's interesting that he has to wear his Lannister colors because he's been very much wearing his Kingsguard white. Um, And now he's all Lannister because this is a Lannister business that he's on. This is Jamie business. Come on. He says it's it's Lannister business, but we all know he just jumped at the opportunity to wear his gold. That's it. That's it. So he goes down to this meal. Oh, God. This is just like if if there's anything I wished could be on the show from his feast chapters, it's actually this. I mean, as much as I would love to see like his blackfish interaction, this meal Mm -hmm. looks hilarious to me. So (laughs) he's having dinner with Lancel's wife, Amory Frey. (laughs) She's also known as Gatehouse Amy. She she is. Yes, she's. She's often mocked for being promiscuous. Um, and of course, Amy is Amy is a sister to Fat Walda Frey, who we know is married to Roose Bolton, and she is the daughter of Merritt Frey, who um, we will remember mm-hmm. as the unfortunate POV character from A Storm of Swords, who was killed by. Yeah, was he the was he the epilogue in in the Storm yes, of Swords? Yes. Yeah. 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 Did I say prologue? Epilogue. No, yeah, no, you didn't say. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, Amory is is pretty funny on her own. She's here with her mother, who is in fact a dairy, and it's actually Amy's um, little bit of 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 dairy blood that's giving Lancel a little bit more legitimacy and um, trying to take over this this fiefdom essentially. Um, and we see discussion of the outlaw problem as we have been seeing everywhere throughout these feast chapters. Um, we were seeing it with Brienne's from the beginning, and as soon as Jamie got into the Riverlands, it's been an issue. Um, and it's funny that there's this analogy to um, the Kingswood Brotherhood, who um, were some outlaws that Jamie fought against as, as a boy, essentially. And they, it was during those skirmishes that he um, was given his knighthood. And I love some of these analogies that there was a woman with those outlaws. And there's yeah. a little bit of an analogy to Lady Stoneheart. But it's kind of like the Kingswood Brotherhood were kind of like these Disney-esque, you know, like Robin Hood type. Outlaws, <laughs> everything. Yeah, that's and the, in the Riverlands. The woman, is, uh, the woman for uh, the woman uh, outlaw, the outlaw queen's name White was Fawn? White Fawn, which sounds yeah. so Disney. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> but everything, everything that's going on in the Riverlands is so sinister and just horrific. We hear a little bit about the horror that happened at Salt Pans, which is just unbelievable. Um, and we do get some mentions of Stoneheart, like I said. Um, you're kind of you're kind of seeing um, a little bit of the overlap of, of Jamie and Brand's stories here. And in fact, they're not too far apart at this point in the book geographically. Um, I like to like during the dinner, like um, it's uh, you call her Lady Amy, Amory. I could never. It's Amory. I think it's Amory is what Amory. it's, but they call her Amy. Yeah, I like this little bit where she's um, kind of. Um, talking about Sir Harwin and saying how he's very gallant mm. and she's blushing beneath her tears as she's just recounting, you know, the murder of it. Was it her father that got <laughs> yeah. murdered? Yeah. Or well, her father, her father and her husband, actually. And uh, yeah. her, her mother is a real gem. Like, when she, she corrects her and says, they didn't hung him, they hanged him. Your father was not a tapestry. <laughs> Yes. But, well, I mean, that, that's the right time to correct someone's grammar. <laughs> and then she turns to Jamie and then she asks, you know, can you please, you know, take care of these outlaws? And Jamie thinks of how he gave Paya the head, the, the severed head of the rapists. And he's, um, I don't know, I think he's getting a little bit of a, a good feeling from being a, a gallant knight. It's like a really. Well, I, I like how, 
how she's like flirting with him so bad and like yeah, she touches his hand and he's like really like i can't feel that yeah, yeah she's touching she's caressing his yeah. golden hand <laughs> yeah yeah and he was like does she think i can actually feel that <laughs> yeah that part was hilarious yeah. i love how he pretty I much ignores her after Jamie. that I know, and I love how Jamie immediately realizes that she's got a crush on uh, Lord Harwin as well. <laughs> it I feels like, like she has a crush part... on a lot of people. On everyone? Yeah. <laughs> I like the part where Sir Kano's pulled a serving girl into his lap, urging her to stroke his horn. His... <laughs> stroke his horn. <laughs> <laughs> he, he actually carries around this horn. It's called the Horn of Herrick. And it's a black twisted horn that's banded with gold. It's named after Herrick Kenning, the founder of House Kenning of Case. But yeah, he's, I'm guessing he's yeah. that horn. <laughs> clever, clever GRM. We see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> so the dinner progresses, and um, eventually Jamie um, spills a wine goblet. And this is the second time that we've seen him do this with his golden hand. And you can tell it just puts him in a terrible mood and he suddenly um, is insistent on seeing Lancel who of course never showed up at the dinner and uh, he's directed to the sept um, which is being guarded by some of the sparrows and um, even though these sparrows are peasants they actually deny Jamie entry to yeah. sept and you know we've seen Jamie be denied entry to a sept before and he doesn't take really well to it <laughs> Um, it's just no, surprising because the description of these three sparrows, they're so like ragtag and shambly, you know, by the description. And it's really the audacity that these three would try to stop Jamie. Like, it's like shocking. It's like there's a shift. Yeah, he actually he actually asked him, do you know who I am? Yeah. <laughs> I like that in the whole chapter, like everybody's referring to him as Lord Commander and Sir Jamie. And this is like the yeah, first time. Someone says Kingslayer like to his face. Yeah, yeah. outside of the like everybody being so the, nice to him and and just I'll treating just him like a normal person, and this girl's like Kingslayer. Uh, yeah, outside of, outside of the courtesies of the noble folk, uh, you know, the small folk don't really care about Jamie. They're they're quite happy to call him a cripple or the Kingslayer. Yeah. Weeks of rebellion, revolution. <laughs> yeah, it really does. So, actually, Lancel has to get these people to let Jamie pass. That is the funniest thing about this, is that they're these peasants who are actually stopping Jamie from doing what he wants to do. Um, and so, Jamie finally gets what he wants. He gets some time alone. And he mentioned, you know, and I don't know what it was, Jamie 2 or something, when he saw Lancel last, that he'd been trying to get Lancel alone in King's Landing. He, he has wanted to talk to him since... Tyrion made this, you know, allegation against Cersei that, that Cersei yeah. was sleeping with Lancel. Um, and it, but it's and funny. The, that, those, are, those are not the actions of a man who who doesn't believe that his sister actually did, was unfaithful to him. He clearly knows on some level that this is a definite possibility that Cersei did this and he really wants to talk to Lancel to find out if that is true. Well, that's it. It's funny. He he will. You hear him a few times in this book dismiss it as just not possible, and yet here he is. Yep. He's gone out of his way. He's exactly. here, and he needs and to hear the truth. And that's Jamie, isn't it? He thinks one thing, but his actions tell another story. Yeah. So Lancel is as as we knew. Lancel is is pretty much gone full religious nut job. I hope I don't <laughs> offend anybody. <laughs> Who I'm sure are listening to this podcast. Right. <laughs> they ship it, okay? They ship it. <laughs> Hi guys. And, 
<laughs> we see that Jay or that uh, Lancel has gone uh, even even further than he had before. He's he's shaved the crown of his head, um, which kind of you know reminds you of, of what a monk would do. Um, and he isn't eating; he's fasting. And Jamie's just like, "What are you doing?" And it's so funny. I remember in Clash how Tyrion was like, "Man, when Jamie finds out that Lancel is fucking Cersei, he's gonna kill him." And it's so weird what actually happens here as Jamie is with him. You almost feel pity from Jamie. Jamie Jamie actually yes. says he'll pray with Lancel if Lancel will eat he'll something. Eat something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I got the same impression. It's really interesting. Jamie's ire is really directed fully on Cersei. It's not I mean, I'm sure he feels some sort of anger towards Lancel, but really in this scene, you're right. You feel that he's kind of feeling some some sympathy towards him. He realizes that Lancel is in a bad place and he's actually trying to help him. Yeah, yeah, he well, realizes that Lancel's like him, but maybe like 10 steps behind him where like, yeah. this is where he was when he was like 15 and, and this is where Lancel is now. So he can understand. And Lancel actually, Lancel or, actually does say to Jamie, he wanted to be him. Yeah. Or he does. Yeah. That Lancel is 10 steps ahead of Jamie. And this is where Jamie's going to end <laughs> up if he keeps him. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jamie was still like stuck in that loop, then then yeah, that he, that he might have ended up somewhere like that. Yeah, yes, that's a bad scene. He gotta gotta knock that off. <laughs> Cut that out. You, you know what's interesting? I feel like there's a little bit of Jamie using that skill he has with talking to people to get the information out of Lancel that he wants because he is being very empathetic. He is um, talking about, you know, Lancel is really upset about the fact that, you know, he, he confesses to Jamie, you know, I killed my king. And Jamie's like, well, you know what, bro, so did I. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> he is, you know, he's trying to, I guess there's a little a little bit of a sense for me that Jamie's lulling Lancel into a, in a, into a, well, not really false, but into a sense of security. You know, you can tell me, bro, we're in the same situation. And, you know, Lancel really doesn't need much convincing because then he just starts spilling it all, doesn't he? Yeah, well, I mean, after Jamie kind of, you know, you kind of feel Jamie, beyond just, you know, trying to get him to eat and stuff, you know, Jamie's saying, what are you doing here? Like, it's very clear that Lancel hasn't slept with his wife and Lancel actually admits that. And he's like, you need to lock this down, you know, this this is your whole purpose in life right now, you need to sleep with your wife and have some kids and, and <laughs> take care of your lands, yeah. and he's really bothered um, by how Lancel's living his life. You, you just get this bizarre feeling of not only concern, but yeah, some kind of connection, some kind of actual empathy yeah. for Lancel's situation, and yes, he does manage to start pulling confessions out of Lancel. First we get, you know, yes, that he, he, killed, he helped kill Robert, and then we get the the truth and i love how jamie is is pulling this out but you almost feel a reluctance on jamie's part you know he's like so careful yeah. to just let lancel spill it literally oh, himself no. <laughs> oh god <laughs> speaking of spilling. oh no i was waiting how are we gonna segue into this line oh, god. <laughs> yeah so he never finished inside so it doesn't count <laughs> It's, it's, not, not it's not treason, okay? <laughs> it's not treason. <laughs> Bastards are rarely made on the belly. <laughs> oh, some lines. That is some lines. I, I thought, too, how well, I don't like, but it's interesting <laughs> that um, Lancel def- still defends Cersei. Like yeah. He does. Yeah, he's very he's concerned about her. chivalrous, isn't he? He's, yeah, yeah, he he's really is. Take the blame. And what's, what's kind of interesting to me is how Jamie is... He's kind of playing it cool. I mean, he's, (laughs) 
as Chicky was saying, I think you can feel the reluctance to actually hear this because, you know, he, as, you know, he clearly, I don't know if you could say he knew definitively, um, but he, there was clearly that niggling thought in the back of his mind that Cersei has actually done this. She has cheated on him. Um, and, you know, now he can't deny it anymore. He's, he has irrefutable proof standing right in front of him. And he actually thinks to himself, um, you know, what did he say? Lancel and, and Osmond and, you know, was the part about Moon Boy a lie? Like, was that just a yeah. joke? He's not even <laughs> sure. He's, I think he's just his whole world is kind of... Yeah, he's, he really is just, his head's starting to spin, his world's crashing down around him. And even though, yes, he kind of knew in the back of his mind, he couldn't bring himself to admit it. But now that option's no longer available to him. He has to confront it. Well, and well, now it's like how he, everything. yeah, it does. So he's looking back at everything going, oh, oh no. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's, oh. I'm yeah. an idiot. He's like, yes. he's questioning pretty much everything, every interaction they've had. I mean, Cersei was Jamie's entire world. So for him, you know, what what is he to do now? This yeah. is, he was, Cersei was his reason for being. The things he does for love, that's Jamie. Yeah, and he's remembering, like, um, the last interaction that they'd had at White Sword Tower where, you know, she, she came to him and, and was trying to, to talk him into leaving the Kingsguard and he's thinking about that and he's thinking, you know, she told me she lied to me and, and yeah. And he's thinking that that may be the only truth that she ever told him. I mean, of course it isn't. Yeah. He's going hyperbolic. But, you know, you can just kind of feel the the break in him, what what this means to him to hear this. Um, Absolutely. So <laughs> they kind of talk a little bit. And then uh, Lancel says, admits that he has confessed this sin of his to the last mm. High Septon, who we now know oh, has died. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. And oh. Jamie very quickly puts together that Lancel has, has basically been the death of the last High Septon by having yeah. um, confessed this to him. He, you know, obviously, he doesn't say it outright, but clearly Cersei had the last High Septon killed um, yeah. over this information. And, and then Lancel confirms that Cersei has basically reinstated the warrior sons who are some sort of religious order of, of basically um, an army or, or knights, um, which Jamie has a hard time even believing um, just yeah, because it's so he, dangerous. Uh, it's such a bad idea. And I think he reflects on how the Targaryens fought really hard to, to get rid of them so many years ago. And now, you know, Cersei's kind of, teaming up or trying to with the, with the the warrior sons and I think they said they reinstated the poor fellows as well which is they're both kind of faith militant groups I think to yes. fight for the seven or or whatnot so yeah I mean Cersei's <laughs> not making good decisions Jamie is clearly aware of that and he now has no qualms in actually thinking that Cersei is not making good decisions Yes, and Lancel's planning to leave for King's Landing the next, the following day, to actually become a knight for the for the faith. Yeah, for the faith yeah. for the faith now. And I know that there's a theory that Lancel might be the actual one that's um, pinned against Sir Robert Strong in the Winds of Winter. Oh, and I really what? hope that is not true. In Cersei's in Cersei's Can trial you? by combat. Yes. I was going to say, can you imagine Lancel trying to fight anything right now? I mean, he can, he can yeah, barely stand up. Horrible, it'd be horrible. 
Might he might have to eat something first. I'll just throw yeah, that he out might there. Be so <laughs> Stiff breeze would just blow him over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor dude. So uh Jamie Jamie leaves the sept and um he is clearly shaken and he, he seeks out Sir Illin. He wants to do some he wants to do a little uh sparring. He wants to hit something basically. Yeah. What why can do you I go just ahead? Yeah, sorry. Um, just before Jamie leaves the set, I think uh, Lance will ask him to pray with him again, which he'd been asking him throughout. And Jamie tells him that he can't. He's forgotten the words to the prayers. Um, and to me, that's sort of indicative of how Jamie's kind of just lost his faith. It's, um, I mean, yes, he's in a literal sense, he was never one to be religious. But in a metaphorical sense, as we were saying, he's kind of now being confronted with the idea that Cersei was actually cheating with him. He can't deny it anymore and, yeah, he's lost his faith. And that is something that is kind of reiterated in Brienne's chapter, but yeah. I'll wait until we get to I was going to say, too, not even just cheating on him, but manipulating him. Like, he's really seeing yeah. how for years, decades, she's been manipulating him. Yeah, and him on absolutely. Him, and he's seeing it. Yeah, it was... It wasn't just the fact that she had sex with other men. It was the fact that the, the person that he thought she was, yeah, she's not that person. She, he had no idea. And I think he does say about, oh, well, I think we're getting to it. Do we, do we talk about the fact that he thinks about Cersei's actually the stranger rather than the maid? I think that's oh, coming go ahead. up. Do you want to read that? That's the, it's right here. Uh, I don't even know if I have it in front of me. Uh, uh, I know it's something like, yeah, he he thought that he was the warrior and Cersei was the maid, but uh, all the time she was a stranger hiding yeah, her true face yeah. from his gaze. And um, yeah, this is very much Jamie's revelation. I mean, Jamie has come to the conclusion that, you know, Cersei was using him. This is what he believes. He firmly believes that he just kind of keeps saying it over and over at the end of this chapter. And he, he goes out to find... Sir Ilan, yeah, to hit something, you're right, Lot. He, yeah. you, know, you, you can and just feel his need to get this out physically. And isn't that such a Jamie thing to do? As soon as he's confronted yeah. with any sort of strong emotion, he feels that desperate urge to fight it away. Yeah, I have to say, too, like, any time I read that there's God's wood involved, because they do go out and they go fight in a God's wood, it makes me really nervous. <laughs> because, like, even, like, the words that, like, it's like a confession Jamie makes to Ilan Payne, that like, great as they're about to spar. And he yes. confesses that he would have killed the Stark girl and Robert if he awoke. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's talking yeah. about a time when, you know, he's like points to the window at the cash. He's like, see that window? That's where me and Cersei like did it over Robert's, yeah. you know, slumbering body. <laughs> and he said, yeah, I, I mean, him. if he had woke up at that moment, I would have killed him. And that's just Jamie. I mean, that's the thing, the things he does, he does for love. That's his driving motivation. It's not really honor. It's not glory. It's love. If Jamie loves you, he will lay down his life for you without question because Jamie's people are are really the only things that matter to him in this world, which is why Cersei's betrayal has got to be so devastating for him. She was his everything. She was his reason for being. I think the whole thing. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I think you're so correct to bring up the fact that he is in a God's wood and he's saying these things out loud, yeah. um, presumably mm. in front of some werewoods. Um, I don't know, who knows if that will come back to haunt him. Definitely, there's a little bit of a theme of of, of all of the religions of Westeros um, throughout these chapters, but you start really feeling it right now where, you know, here Jamie has just been in the sept extracting a, a confession from Lancel and then he goes straight to a God's wood. 
you know, where the old gods are, where potentially even Bran could could hear these things she said. And you we have to feel like that. there's some Yeah, you have to feel like there's some significance to that for <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, like shut up, yeah. Jamie, shut up. <laughs> yeah. Pretty <laughs> damning his lines in that chapter. They are pretty damning, yeah. yeah. As most things that come out of Jamie's mouth are. <laughs> oh, Jamie. Jamie. But the worst part for me here is is how Jamie is feeling this, and he's just feeling like such a fool. Um, and it, yeah. the chapter ends with Sir Ilan laughing at him, yeah. and he knows it. And you know, this is one thing that we know Jamie just can't abide. This is this is the thing that that you know kind of galvanized him when the bloody mummers had him when they were laughing at him. You know, he made his heart go dead or whatever it is that he thinks, and it's yeah. just ugh. He's pride. He's got pride. That lens. He does. Yeah. He does. Mm. So, endo chapter. Guess Yay. what, Lot? All You're right. Up. Passing the ball. Passing the ball. <laughs> okay. So we're gonna do <laughs> Brienne six now. Um, we have a scene with Brienne, Pod, Septon, Maribald, and Hyle. They are at the mouth of the Trident, where it empties into the Bay of Crabs, and they're going to visit the Quiet Isle. The tide has gone out, leaving behind a mucky land that they can cross. Septon Maribald leads them on and he, you know, he gives them a warning that you know they should walk only where he does along this path of faith. Um, basically, you know, it's got like a lot of sinkholes, sounds like they could get su- stuck and like, I don't know about you guys, but I automatically thought of the Princess Bride scene where they're going through the forest. <laughs> <laughs> I really love the natural defenses of the Quiet Owl. You know, yeah. whenever the tide goes out, if anybody wants to try to get over there and they don't know the way to get there, they're going to die. Yep. And that's why yeah, they really like, have not been molested, really. I was going to say later on in the chapter, I think, um, I don't know if it was the older brother or one of the other um, brothers, but they talk about how, you know, our faith keeps us safe. The war hasn't touched us. And <laughs> and I think Septim Maribald is like, well, yeah, your faith and also the fact that you're basically very, very hard to get to without dying. Yeah. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> I, I like, too, how Brienne has this thought that the path of faith uh, was a crooked one. and That then- is such a perceptive thought by Brienne, really. And it's I don't know. It's I love it. It's really reflective of both her, hers, and Jamie's journeys in the series. Not obviously faith in a religious sense, particularly, but in in the more general context of a belief system. Because you know, what have we seen from them? They've both been tested time and time again, and we're seeing it right now with Jamie, um, with Cersei's betrayal. Um, you know how his his faith has been shaken. His whole belief system is being tested. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a nice little line from Brienne, and we know coming up that her faith is also going to be tested. Oh. I've always seen this. I mean, the, he, he gives a lot of time to this little walk out to this. I always picture it as kind of like, a, you know, St. Michael's Mount or a, a Mont Saint-Michel type, type, you know, fortress island on the water. And I didn't know you were such it, a religious nut, Chickie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what these places are. Oh, they're they're real places. Um, you know, just like little little castles on islands, just off a shoreline, basically okay. where you can walk out when the tide is low. But the fact that he gives us so much so much time, I I feel like maybe it's a metaphor for the fact that Brienne's journey is is so meandering in the in Feast for Crows, and yep. she doesn't reach where she's going, or it doesn't seem like she's going to. Um, and I think I think that may be what he's getting at. Although maybe I'm giving him too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I could, I could, I could see it. Sounds good. I, I, re- I really like the fight between dog and the crab. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. 
even like yeah, that even is- the dog is like smart. Like the dog knows to stay close to it. when he does venture off, yeah. like he gets bit in the nose with the crab, right? Yeah. <laughs> I like too Heil, he even complains that they seem to be going in every direction but where they actually want to go. <laughs> so Heil Sounds like sounds like Brian looking for Sansa to me. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, they make it safely, um, and on the shores, we see three men, their brothers, that are cla- uh, clad in brown robes. Two have everything um, but their eyes showing. The third brother is the only one that's allowed to talk, and he greets them, and this is, um, he welcomes Septon Maribald and his guests. Maribald asks for hospitality and introduces the rest, and this is um, Brother Norbert. He's a proctor who's only allowed to speak one day for every seven. He um, says quite a bit when he realizes Brienne is a woman and, you know, he almost gets like, I don't know, a little bit antsy, I guess, the the fact that she's a woman. And usually it's only women in need that visit the aisle. I love that she takes her hair down. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And she does that that epic, she un... It's epic because she unpins her hair and she shakes it out. It's, it's one of those the sh- shaking of the hey, hair out again, you know. No, I I'm a woman. Say, didn't, Cersei, didn't Cersei do that back with Jamie at <laughs> one stage in like slow mo? <laughs> yeah, to wait. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that bit too. And it's, it's such a, I don't know, it just struck me the fact that she's taking this pin out of her hair and. I don't know. It brought lots of visuals. I'd like to draw it. I she think. can. She can finally relax now. She's Somebody at the quiet aisle. Well, and a lot of people forget she actually has long hair in the books. <laughs> it's they short, do, like yeah. it is on Game of Thrones. It's, I think it's meant to be shoulder length or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Anyway, so they're um, the they're talking about how only women in need visit the aisle usually, and then he reveals that their elder brother has healing hands, and um, those women usually come to see him. And Brienne assures him. That she is um, not sick or hurt or with child, and that she is after the hound. So right away, you know, the hound is mentioned, and I think we'll get into a bit of more. Did of- you notice that Brother Norbert's pretty taken aback whenever she says that she's hunting the hound, too? Because like- immediately he's like, oh, well, you really need to talk to the elder brother. <laughs> <laughs> I did this round, but like I didn't pick. I'm not. I'm just gonna flat out tell you, I did not pick up on any of this on my initial read. I'm not too smart. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> this is all after the fact that I. Uh, so on the second or the third reread of this, it's um, hitting home. I love how I admit my stupidity so easily on this podcast. <laughs> Okay, so um, anyway, Narbert leads them to a stable, and in it is an impressive black horse kicking at the stable. Horses. (laughs) Is there a horse metaphor, YD? I mean, I don't know. I I guess it could be a metaphor. (laughs) I mean, they talk later about. They did talk later about how it's it's kind of a metaphor for Sandor himself. You know, he's a. Bread only, bread bread only to bread only to fight. Um, Can't be tamed. Anyway, (laughs) let's get into it. Actually, did get to squeeze in her horse metaphor. (laughs) Yay! It's been a while. This brings me joy. Okay. (laughs) So the horse has been rather violent. He's um broken one of the brother's legs, and he's taken the ear of another by biting it. Um, that could be a metaphor for Brienne. She likes to bite off you. <laughs> <laughs> so Brother Gillen 
tries to geld the horse, um, and I think that's when he got his ear bit. And the Hyle says, forgive me, brother, but I might have um, taken the other if you approached me with a pair of shears. Um, the joke's I love how that joke's not going well. <laughs> well. <laughs> like, All right, Didn't land. <laughs> no. No. Try again, Hyle. So they're led on uh, further, and they pass uh, many silent brothers who give them curious looks. And then there's this large brother who is digging a grave uh, for Brother Clement, who was, who died of his wounds uh, he received at the salt pans. Um, so I already mentioned my own stupidity. It's for you guys all smart and knew that this was Sander. <laughs> I didn't catch it the first time. Yeah, I, I, I caught it the second time around. I didn't catch it the first time. I didn't remember either. He actually had the grave digger even like throw dirt at Jamie and not Jamie, but Brienne and company. <laughs> and he, there's dog. Dog even runs up to him and he's scratching the back of his ear. All the signs are there. It's really obvious now. <laughs> I, I love well, actually. actually I talk about you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Jiggy. Go ahead, Whitey. Oh, I'm just gonna. I was just gonna point out some of the signs. <laughs> I mean, they talk about him being bigger than Brienne. Um, he was lame, which we all know that um, Sandor sustained a, a leg wound. Um, you know, it's just, oh, he talks about, I mean, I'm skipping ahead now, but when he talks about, the older brother talks about Sandor, he talks about how um, he, he talks about him dying, but in a, in a way that seems to indicate that he's talking about, in a meta- metaphorical sense, the hound himself is dead, but Sandor is still alive. Mm. But anyway, well, skipping ahead. And I actually, you know, since YD mentioned the, the kind of little bit of the metaphor with, with Stranger, I actually, I actually agree. I think there's a reason that Stranger very obviously doesn't fit in his, <laughs> in his stall and that he's being a, a problem. And you kind of see a little hint of this as, as the grave digger who were you know, 98% sure is Sandra Clegane is digging the graves. He, he seems to be struggling to dig the graves. Um, he accidentally throws a bunch of soil um, onto their feet while he's, he's taking a shovel full out. It's kind of, to me, an indication that maybe he doesn't fit in this <laughs> role that he has taken on or that it's, it's yeah, a difficult yeah. fit. So, yeah, I think, yeah. I think there's a lot, a lot of detail here that's really buried. Yeah. Um, or perhaps it's it, even a role that's, yeah, or perhaps that it's even a role that's new to him. That's something that, that too could be that. <laughs> yeah, trying to. Become- Although it's interesting that they didn't manage to get Stranger gelded. Right. It's kind of funny. Is that gonna? Hmm. Yeah. Okay, something to think about. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so Bran, uh, um, oops, sorry, Brand even. Yeah, so Bran's on the quiet <laughs> aisles. If you guys didn't know, <laughs> everyone's there. Now. Brand's everywhere. <laughs> 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 so uh, Brienne asks if it was the hound that um, injured Brother Clement, and Norbert replies, "No, but it was, you know, another just as bad." And they tell him about, you know, the salt pans and how awful it was, and how Clement had his tongue cut out for not speaking. And you know, they they don't speak, so bad scene there. Um, they are led to a door and set inside the wall. It's set inside the wall of a cave. It's called a hermit hole. And this is where the first holy man lived for 2,000, you know, or over 2,000 years ago. So, so Wait the elder brother was... I think Ian has something to say about this. So the elder brother lives in a hobbit hole? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so the quiet, the, the, the quiet all is actually the shire? What <laughs> a red light to me. Yeah, well, so Septon Mirabal is like Gandalf. Yeah, Septon Mirabal. 
might be. Even, yeah. it, makes sense. it makes sense that it's the Shire because the Shire was kind of untouched by the war. Oh my god, it all makes oh sense! I sound like the Shire. <laughs> Even the interior, the way they describe the interior of this cave is so like Hobbit. The Hobbit. Yeah, all right. Like, yeah, they describe the cave. It's warm and snug, and it's filled with this nicely polished driftwood furniture. Dude, Elder Brother could be Gandalf because he's got magical healing abilities. He could could be Gandalf. (laughs) I can see it. I can can see the fan art right now. (laughs) So they go into the Hobbit hole, and they meet the Elder Brother. Um, and it's not what Brienne expects. Uh, he's old. He's straight. Oh, he's not that old. Sorry. He's uh, straight and tall, and his eyes are shrewd. Brienne thinks he does not look like he does not have a kindly face, and uh, he does not have the kindly face of a healer. He looks more like a man made to break bones than to heal them. They sit and have a drink, and the elder brother is uh, dismayed. Is not as dismayed by Brienne's sex as Norbert was. And his, but his smile does falter slightly when she shares her intentions um, with being there and looking for the hound. Brienne compliments the cups. They're also made of driftwood. The elder brother tells her that they cut and polish the wood that washes up to their shores, along with many other things. Um, you know, cups, pots, sacks of wool, silks, helms, swords, and rubies. Hyle asks if they are Rhaegar's rubies. It may be, and they found six, and they're still waiting for the seventh to show up. Septon Maribal says not all the river's gifts are pleasant and, uh, you know, dead animals um, also wash up on their shores along with men, even women and children. And uh, they say the cruelest gift. So he asks um, Maribal to hear their sins and it's kind of cute. Pod has this like childlike moment where he pipes in with, you know, I thought you guys can't talk. (laughs) (laughs) He explains for confessions they can. Hun asks if they um, burn the sept at the salt pans, and the elder brother's smile vanishes, and he says they burned everything, everything but the stone castle. Um, so we heard in uh, Jamie's chapter a little bit about this too, right? With uh, is it Sir Quincy, and how he yeah. stayed within his castle walls whilst the salt pans burned. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's it's a horrific description of what went on at the salt pans, really. Um, and I think, was it Septim Maribald? Oh, no, um, the elder brother was talking about how one of the women who was there, who was, you know, raped and really severely wounded, had come to him for healing. And she talks about how angry she was at Sir Quincy for failing to try and protect his people. Um, and we get Septim Maribald saying, you know, he's an old man, um, he doesn't have his family, his, his sons and whatnot around him, what could he have done, one against so many? And then we get Brienne piping in with, no, she doesn't actually say it, she thinks it, um, she thinks, you know, he could have tried, um, he could have died, a true knight is sworn to protect those who are weaker than himself or die in the attempt, which is really kind of Brienne in a nutshell, right. isn't it? She, <laughs> She's yeah. offending on this point. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so after all that, the elder brother replies, true words and good thing that there, that he is there to forgive him. You know, when he's, you know, Maribald says, you know, well, he's an old man. So while Brienne thinks, well, he could have tried, the elder brothers, you know, mm. saying, no, you're right. He is an old man, but good thing you're here to forgive him because he can't. You know, he actually had to deal with these injured people. 
And it is quite mm. horrific, as you said, the woman that he does treat. Yeah, awful. It's, like, really awful. Um, so- and, you know, I guess it's it's more of what we're saying throughout Britain's chapters, the, the toll of war on, on the small folk. Right. Um, so they're invited to dinner, and it's described as a strange meal, but not unpleasant. The food is good, there's harp playing, and they're reading from the seven-pointed star. The I always gris- love I always love his descriptions of food. And Me too. It's pretty gross, it's just, but tasty. sometimes it's really good. Yeah. I mean, just the crusty bread. It's almost like he knows I mean, his food. <laughs> yes, it's just so good. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so they're... Um, the gravedigger is also there, and uh, he's helping to clear dishes because he's a bit of an underling right now. <laughs> um, and he, they make note that he has an, I guess, I guess like a weak limp, or so he's been injured somehow. Um, Brienne is told that she will be put up in a cottage that they keep for women. The elder brother leads her there, but also again, I gotta mention Pod because he kind of has an objection to this. He doesn't want to be separated from Brienne. I thought that was cute. Can you imagine yeah, and I, I like... Can you imagine Brienne no. fitting into a hobbit hole? Because it's kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. funny. <laughs> what, what's, what's also hilarious is the fact that uh, the brother <laughs> says, no, you guys, you and Pod can't sleep in the same room because, you know, as if he actually legitimately thinks that there's something going on between Brienne and this 11-year-old boy. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I don't care what you do out there, but you're not yeah, doing it. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was sure. kind of a douchey move. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, the elder brother leads her out to um, where the women's cottages are, and they're on the east side of the aisle. He tells her that before they could see the fires of the salt pans, but no more. The only survivors were those lucky enough to be on their boats the day of the attack, and they have all moved on now to other towns. He asks Brienne what she hopes to find there, and then she says, a girl, a highborn maid of three and ten, with a fair face and auburn hair. And, like, automatically, he's like, Sansa. <laughs> yeah. Well, totally. Yeah, can knows. you imagine? He knows, because can you imagine whenever he did bring, if that really is Sander, he brought Sander to the quiet all, and Sander actually confessed mm-hmm. these things to him. So yeah. he knows. Yep. Um, Brienne tells him of the information she received from Timian, and then the elder brother tells her that she's basically, um, I'm sorry, I think I'm jumping around. The elder brother leads her into her, (laughs) I describe it, it was a beehive mud hut that they sleep in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Women are stored. (laughs) And, uh, he, he basically tells her that she's chasing the wrong wolf, and that the Arya was the one with the hound. You know, can I stop you a lot? I love how this guy wants to come into this little hut with her, and because he is a religious figure, she doesn't think twice about she it. She's so mistrustful yeah. of men. Mm-hmm. And here's yeah. this guy who's very obviously, you know, young. What I think he says he's forty something, and and he's he's clearly still you know fit and in the prime of life, and yet she doesn't think twice about it. It's so interesting, kind of that her yeah, prejudices been- just never go completely away. <laughs> she she thinks he's safe because he's a religious guy. Better. Right, she's still idealistic yeah, about yeah. something. That's it. It's a bit. Of, it's kind of Brienne's dichotomy, I guess, because as you say, she is so mistrustful of men specifically. Um, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, it's interesting to to that she doesn't give it a second thought. Really, this guy who she 
who's a knight that we come to find out, who's, you know, this big guy who could clearly cause some damage. She's just like, yep, hop on in. Come sit on my bed with me. (laughs) (laughs) Brady Fuller's hair. (laughs) (laughs) Sleepover. (laughs) So, um, and it is interesting that he reveals, you know, that it was Arya that was with the Hound. And I just, how come she never asked, like, how would you know that? Mm-hmm. And he tells he tells her that he kind of got Sanders' confession before Sander died. So uh, okay, that makes, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Right, and he also tells her that the hound is dead. Is like my next line. Um, he says he um, buried him himself, placing his helm upon the grave, and then he says another took it and claimed it as his identity. Then he gives. Um, a bit of a short biography on Sandra Clegane, which I didn't write yeah, down. Uh, it's actually, oh, I'm just going to say, it's it's kind of a really awesome eulogy for the Hound. I really, I love the passage. Um, do you mind if I read a little bit no, from go it? go for it. Okay, he says, um, I know a little of this man, Sandor Clegane. He was Prince Joffrey's sworn shield for many a year. And even here we would hear tell, uh, hear t- tell of his deeds, both good and ill. If even half of what we heard is true, this was a bitter, tormented soul, a sinner who mocked both gods and men. He served but found no pride in service. He fought but took no joy in victory. He drank to drown his pain in a sea of wine. He did not love, nor was he loved himself. It was hate that drove him. Um, I won't read all of it, but he then talks about how he committed many sins and he never sought forgiveness. Um, And, you know, while the hounds or uh, while other men dream of glory and riches and whatnot, the Hound's sole purpose was really just to kill his brother. That was his driving force. Um, and then I think Brienne asks him, you sound as if you pity him. And, you know, he obviously does. And it's it's an awesome little monologue, I think, and it really drives home what we were talking about last week, about the, the recurring themes in the series of good versus evil, of shades of grey, um, and also of mercy. Um you know, because bad things happen to people. Bad things happen to Sandor. Um, and they choose to deal with them in different ways. And I don't know, people like Sandor, they hold on to their hate. It kills them slowly from the inside, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then we've got people like Brienne, who, you know, has an equally sort of tragic backstory. But she's choosing to, to go on with life and choosing to continue to see that there is good in the world and it's worth fighting for. And then... I don't know, you've got people like Jamie who sort of walk the line between both of those worlds. He sort of kind of, you know, out for revenge, kind of still wants to find his honour and do good in the world. But, you know, each of these people deserve pity. They deserve redemption. Yes. Well, and the Hound, the Hound is dead and Sander is at rest. And if you notice, um, the elder brother talks about burying Sander's, Sander by the river and he placed the helm as like kind of like the headstone. So Rorge picks up up the mm-hmm. helm. He takes on the persona of the hound. Pretty much that that helm has pretty much this evil persona attached to it. And whenever somebody wears it, they take on the on that evil persona. And you have so you have, you know, Sander, Rorge, and next comes Dun dun dun. Okay. Um so the elder brother um tells Brienne his own story. And it like you said, it's like a re- a lot of reoccurring themes of redemption with all these men yeah. that Brienne yeah, is interacting right. with. 
And he and I love how he outs himself as a rapist. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he does. He, says he had lots of women in his past, and some of them he forced. I was like, oh, God. Yeah, and it's like she just <laughs> went in this room with him and didn't I think know, twice I know. about it. And she's, it really bothers and she's like, She's like, oh, you want to scooch a bit closer? <laughs> <laughs> I love that she's still just sitting there. But yeah, it's it's great. I love I love the way he talks about his backstory and how um I don't know a lot if you wanted to sort of summarize it a little bit. Were you planning to do that? Yeah, I was just gonna say like how in his youth, you know, he went to war, he you know, he raped, he killed, and his life was there's this line where he says his life was um in red it, it built in red blood and wine. And then I love Bri- that. And Brienne asks him, you know, well, when did it all change? And he says when he died on the Battle of the Trident. And then we learn about how he came to the Quiet Isle. He had been... Yeah, and it's interesting he says... Sorry, it's interesting he says that he died there because, you know, that's kind of what he was just saying about Sandal. Um, Yeah. I was just going to say the whole whole speech here, the whole monologue from Septim Meribold is is really just a continuation, uh, sorry, of the elder brother. yeah, it's a continuation of Septim Meribold's broken man speech in the in the previous Brian chapter. You know about how war affects the greater population. It, it, it's good for another, it's good for other things as well. But there's also this you know the sentiment about how war affects you know the small folk, the greater population, not just the noblemen, and how it can change a man, and how you know people who are generally good men do terrible things because of circumstance. Um, and it, it is, you know, it's analogous to what Sandor, I guess, sort of went through. And mm. I guess you can sort of think about how the older brother, maybe he was he was pretty lucky to wash up on the quiet aisle because if he hadn't, who knows what he might have become. Right. Um, yeah, well, yeah, he does, like you say, he does wash up on the quiet aisle. Um, and this is after he's been stripped clean and he's naked. So he's figuring, you know, some guy probably thought he was dead, took all his clothes. And then, you know, he drifted down the river to the quiet aisle where he spent the next 10 years in silence. And um, he does, uh, we've already said that he does say that the hound is dead and that he never had Sansa and the outlaws will not survive the peace. He tells her to return to her father. Um, he'd he says he'd sooner have a living daughter than a shattered shield. And Brienne's mm. part kills me. Brienne's eyes fill up with tears and then she like literally spills everything. Aww. I love it a lot. If I could back you up a minute. I love it how she's getting these warnings that she ought to return home. She gets it yeah. from Randall Tarley and she doesn't listen. Yeah. She's not going to listen to Randall Tarley. But again, she's being warned. You really ought to go home. You really should turn around and I was just, just going to say that, that, the, that that's story is, is really a cautionary tale to Brienne but she's so single minded in this mission and you know Jamie's given her this mission she really really wants to do right by Jamie because she's a true knight she's just she's yeah. a true knight but then lots and, sorry I didn't mean to stop you go ahead and launch into the what Brienne says here this oh so she says yeah, do to it. him he deserves that a daughter who could sing to him and grace his hall and bear him grandsons he deserves a son too a strong and gallant son to bring honor to his name she shares yeah. the stories of her betrothals, betrayals, uh, of Red Ronnet and his rose, Renly and the Rainbow Cloak, her vow to Catelyn, and then she talks about Jamie in the tub, Sapphire's the bear pit, her vow to him to find Sansa. She has you to can, find... Oh, go ahead. I, I love some of the oh, terminology in say, here. You go ahead, Chicky. I love the way that, that she, you know... 
in part part of this is is her dialogue her talking to to the elder brother but some of it is just how she sums up what she talks to the elder brother about and i love the way that she says you know the wager the wager for her maidenhead the bitter tears she shed the night her king wed marjorie tyrell oh that part yeah oh god is that the kind of the first instance we get of that isn't it we didn't know that it really is yeah yeah, yeah, and then when oh, she says Renly dying in her arms, and then yeah. there she kind of gets to the Jamie portion, which covers about half of her life story at this point. Yeah. She talks say. about the way that she describes it. She says dueling Jamie, and she talks about Jamie yeah. crying sapphire. She talks about Jamie in the tub at Heron Hall, and she says with steam rising from his body. So yet again, we get a throwback to that bath moment, yeah. and of course it's sexual. And... <laughs> And the one that gets to me the most is when she talks about, well, there's also the taste of Argo Hote's blood when she bit down on his ear, which is a big one. But to me, one of the biggest is Jamie leaping down onto the sand. The way that she remembers that moment of him landing in the bear pit. Like he's so heroic to her. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's amazing. You're right. The way that she actually thinks about it really is... Uh, a window, I guess, into the way that she considers all this stuff that's happened to her. Um, and as you say, Jamie features so prominently in, as you you know, what you said, her life story really up until now. Um, he really does take up about half of her thoughts. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. <laughs> I, really, I really like it. I know and it, I love- it must have been so it must have been so cathartic for her just to get all of that out as well. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's definitely it. the sense you get when she's just spilling it all out you definitely get that sense like oh you let it go you let it go just go (laughs) well and she's not a person who dwells she's not a person who who sits around even though you get these little little sentences or little thoughts from her that make you feel horrific about what must be behind them she's not someone who dwells and the fact that she has this massive paragraph where she finally and you know i mean it's still just glancing she's just barely listing things but the things that she says and the way that she says them are just so poignant to me and such a window yeah. to Brienne as a person. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, you know, you're right. It's it's very evident as you read Brienne's chapters that she's not one to to consistently think about all the bad stuff that's happened to her. But you can tell from the, as you say, the little glimpses that we get and the way that she refers to them, how deeply it's actually affected her. Yeah. And then at the end of it all, you know, she tells um, the elder brother that she promised Jamie. And she knows that others are looking for Sansa only to sell her to the queen and that she will find her or die in the attempt. Mm. Brienne. How does the world deserve Brienne? Yeah. Jamie has become Brienne's light. Yeah. Well, she has. And it's funny in that little um, paragraph that she talks about having to find her. She doesn't even refer to Catelyn. I mean, I know Catelyn's dead to her, but she all she says is, I promised Jamie that I would find her. Um, I'd promise that, you know, I'd find his honour, I guess. Yeah. So she's going to. How do you go on from this? That's, this just killed me, that whole end of that oh, chapter. Oh, all of Brienne's chapters are just, you know, a, a punch to the gut. <laughs> oh. Yep, pretty much. All right. But, and, uh, oh. I, can I just say quickly, I love how – I like that we covered these two chapters together because I, they really do fit together very well. Um, you know, they're both 
refer a lot to the salt pans. Um, religion features prominently in both of them. And then we have questions that are raised in Jamie's chapter pretty much answered in Brienne's about, you know, what happened to Sandor. And it's really, I don't know, to me it's just a really lovely way to reinforce that Jamie and Brienne, whilst being separated physically, are sharing a similar journey. They're sort of on a similar path. Right, and they're hearing the same stories, which, yeah, I found yeah. really interesting, too. I liked reading these together. Yeah. So let's move on. Um, we can do our thank yous and acknowledgements. I'm not sure who has those this week. I have them. Yay, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, our first one comes from Grammar Saves Lives. Um, she says, another great podcast. I have to agree with Lot about Heil. Oh, I think no. if I can look past <laughs> Jamie, forgive me. For giving Bran a two-handed push out a window with the intention of causing death, I can allow that Hall might not be beyond the pale of forgiveness. As usual, it was another interesting, thought-provoking, and entertaining episode. Well, thank you, Grandma. Uh, well, thank you. That, who is Comma, by the way? Comma, thanks, Star. Comma. <laughs> <laughs> Next one we have is from Rosehart. I'm just going to touch on a couple things. She did write a very sweet, wonderful email, and I, mm. I love this email. But um, she says, you all put so much work into this, and this massive undertaking of covering the Jamie and Brienne chapters has fueled my love of these characters and this fandom, focusing on their chapters, especially in order, so that what is happening to each of them around the same time is, highlight- is highlighting has made me think about who they are individually and what they what their relationship means to them. It's like discovering their ship all over again. Aww. Aww. Thanks, she says, I've missed having you girls all back together, and it's been a joy hearing the gang. I missed my spicy Texan this week, but I loved the dual body. I enjoyed Lot taking us a back seat and being able to talk more about her thoughts, which were amazing, and Chicky did a great job. I also loved YD's discussion of the broken men's speech and the grace of humanity, as well as Jamie's demand for Connington to humanize Brienne by using her name she also had a side note that says can you believe yd blamed jamie's cock being a <laughs> and co- compass on me as if i would ever say that badly. Oh, that was yd i have the written proof i have the proof <laughs> <laughs> i have another email from pazowzow and I just have a couple, I'm going to do a couple highlights from her email. It was a really wonderful email. She did mention a couple questions, and on a, on a later date, whenever we do a Q&A, we'll most likely cover these questions. But she did say, I want to thank you for the amazing podcast that you give us each week. I love to see that I'm not the only one making wild theories about my precious Brienne and the cute but jerk Jamie. She also says, keep doing your amazing, amazing, amazing three times. Yes, it's that good work. You make me so happy. I love you all. You're so funny and clever. Again, thank you, and please keep doing the fantastic work. You make my Wednesday a wonderful day. Jet lag is a bitch. Goodbye, and see you next time. And at last, my final word, JB for the win, Pazalzal. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much. Oh, awesome. and, and guess what? 
we got an Australian iTunes review. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Australia? Sing Australian anthem right now, if I knew it. (laughs) Now look, look, can't throw her wine in my face anymore. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm so glad you've been on here for this. <laughs> I have it's, to, like, it's a, a new Ventus occasion. I'll have to pick a new country to beat up on now. So it's the UKers are next, right? Uh oh. God. I'm gunning for you guys. I can't wait to sandwich This fine, fine. I can't wait to. All right. From, <laughs> this is from Otaku Wind Sailor, and it's titled Fantastic Podcast. Highly recommended recommend this podcast insightful analysis of the books as well as a as witty humor this podcast often leaves me trying to hold in my giggles so i don't get weird looks in public i always look forward to this podcast every week so i can hear all the different perspectives on my favorite chapters it always feels like i'm right there with you ladies please never stop this amazing podcast that's awesome. Oh, thank oh, you. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, thanks for taking the pressure off Australia, thank too. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. I, I, I owe you one. I owe you one, mate. Right. <laughs> and, and last but not least, I want to thank BLJ Got for another amazing fan art. Black Lemon oh God, Juice, we love thank these. you so much. You have such adorable, amazing art. Yeah. I just want to hug it. Jamie, Jamie decked out in his gold with Her the sock, dragon. Jamie. That was the best thing ever. Yes. It was so well done. It really was. <laughs> and and that's it for thank yous. Thanks, that, everyone. That was a good thank you. Well, thank you so much, guys. Yeah. Thanks so much, Mo, for being on with us this yeah, week. Thank You've you. been such yes. a great supporter of the podcast. <laughs> We're so happy you're here. I know. It's weird to be on the other side for once. <laughs> <laughs> all the nitty gritty, all the. <laughs> The dark underbelly. <laughs> I was going to say, now she knows all our secrets. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, so if you want to be a guest, uh, please let us know. You can let us know through Gmail at close the door and at gmail.com. You can reach us on Tumblr at close the door and come here.tumblr.com. And uh, we can also be reached at the jamiebrienne.com message boards. Ah, good night, good morning, whatever time of day it is. Thank you, panel. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. We love you. Bye. 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 Bye.